For Your Reconsideration is proudly part of the Flickering Myth Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another glorious edition of For Your Reconsideration. Come with us as we guide you through a funhouse of cinematic filth and squalor to establish whether a film that a few people like is actually alright. We're doing the Lord's work here, ladies and gents. My name is James and I'm joined by Simon. How are you, my friend? Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, mate. Not too bad at all. Uh, I've got a bit of a cold this week, so apologies if I sound a bit more nasally than normal. I do sound nasally anyway, so it's just going to be even worse, so I'm sorry. Sorry, listeners. Sorry, James. Yeah, it's all right, mate. I I think you sound absolutely glorious, as always. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks. I love the moral support. (laughs) But James, uh, as you've done the intro, uh, again, obviously it pains us to report that Rob is still recovering at home, uh, as he's still not well. Do you think this might be the start of the zombie apocalypse? (laughs) (laughs) It's quite possible. Either that or another cinematic serial killer has got him again this week. He's having a terrible run of form. Oh yeah, he's having a bad time. He's having a bad time. But yeah, get well soon, Rob. Uh, We hope to have you back uh, soon. But alas, fear not, uh, as it's not just the two of us this week. We are honoured to be joined by uh, Lucy Buglis of LucyGoesToHollywood.com. A quite marvellous film blog, if you don't mind me saying Lucy. So, uh, yeah, welcome to For Your Reconsideration, and thanks so much for stepping in for Rob. You've done us a solid. Oh, no, thank you for having me. Honestly, I'm so excited, and I'm a bit nervous because I'm your first guest, but I'll do my best. (laughs) Oh, yes, I'm sure you'll be amazing. I'm happy you like the blog as well. Thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. (laughs) Oh, it's great. I've I've been uh, reading it for a while. I I think I briefly met you at a short film thing in Shoreditch last year. Yes. Uh, Very, very briefly said hi to you. But yeah, I've been looking at your blog ever since, and yeah, it's great. It's really, really good. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. It's a, it's a nice little hobby for me. It keeps me busy, so I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Excellent. So, uh, Lucy, what we normally do is we kick off the show with a quick chat about what we've been watching this week. Now, I've been green with envy following your blog this week, uh, so would you mind relaying to the listeners uh, what you've been up to? Yeah, of course. So I've been incredibly lucky to uh, attend the London Film Festival as press, my first ever London Film Festival, so it was amazing. Yes. And yeah, it's just, it's been an absolute blast, honestly, you know, meeting people, seeing, you know, putting the sort of, you know, names and the faces to the Twitter handle, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. Obviously, you know, we're there for the films and I've seen some absolutely stunning pieces. I mean, uh, highlights for me is definitely Jojo Rabbit and Knives Out. Oh, brilliant. You've probably seen it all over Twitter and oh my God, it's just it's absolutely stunning, both of them. <laughs> so yeah, Knives Out is very much uh, sort of like who done it, like classic, like imagine like a Cluedo board on screen, like just stunning, gorgeous ensemble cast. You know, we've got Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Daniel Craig, to name a few. Absolutely gorgeous, really funny. Gosh. And I did not see the twist coming. So, you know, kudos to Ryan Johnson for that. <laughs> well, he's, yeah, because is this his... First film since the Star Wars uh, um, debacle. I believe so. I'm not. I don't follow a lot of his stuff, but I think it is. Yes, it, it must be. I mean, I, I love. I love the Last Jedi, but um, yes, yeah, yeah. Not there's a lot of a lot of people who did not like the Last yeah, Jedi. It's been horrible to him. I think he's come back and he's gone. You know what? I'm going to come back. I'm going to do an amazing ensemble cast. And there we go. And it, and it's it's beautiful. I would literally give it five stars. I haven't done my review yet, Amazing. but I'll be doing it soon. Just gorgeous. Yeah, it looks so, so good. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. It looks right on my street. So I'm glad Ditto. that... Uh, that you've been, uh, that you think it's so good. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, and and Jojo Rabbit as well. You know, it's a it's a wonderful political satire. You know, just uh, you know the concept of a ten year old boy having Hitler as his imaginary friend is a little bit like oh god, but it works. And you might not think <laughs> that it works, but when you step in there, you're just transported. And oh my god, just yeah, I was hysterical, like so funny, but also very poignant. Oh great. 
Yeah, so I, I, I didn't know that's what the concept... I just knew it was Taika Waititi being Hitler. I didn't know it. that's what the concept was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's like this um, child in the Hitler youth, basically. Oh. He wants to be in Hitler's like army, and he obviously wants to do everything in Nazi Germany, and he's like brainwashed. And it's the kid's first role as well, and I was like blown away because he was fantastic. So he's one to look out for. Oh, nice. Yeah, looking forward to that. That'd be, that'd be great. He's very, he's very man of the moment, old Taika Waititi, isn't he? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What have you been watching, James? Um, so this week I took in a small little film that uh, seems to have flown under the radar and has attracted very little discourse in the film criticism online space. Uh, the film is Joker. Have either of you seen that? Yeah. Oh, that's Not heard of it, mate. Yeah, I've never it. heard of that ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not going to do a big hot take. There's plenty of those out there if you want to go and grab them. I thought it was well made uh, with an excellent central performance. And that's about as far as I'm going to get into it. You know, if, you, if you're if you interested in that character, I think it's worth going to watch, definitely. I can see why some people have taken against it, but it's it's very toxic on both sides of the particular argument at the moment. It is. It's a, I've never seen anything like it. It's it's so, so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Uh, we you know, briefly touched on the, uh, the response to The Last Jedi with uh, Rian Johnson, but... This is nuts because it's both sides weighing in and it's 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 been a bit unsavoury, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And everyone's got a different take depending on what their own personal politics is. So it's either it's it's pro-alt-right or it's anti-austerity. It's like, just go and see it and make your own mind up. That would be my advice, to be honest. Have you seen it, Lucy? I haven't. No, I think obviously with the festival, I've been so busy, but I am planning on seeing it next week, so... Stay tuned for that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm going on. Uh, I'm going on Sunday. So yeah, looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. I think you'll like it. I think you'll both like it based on your individual tastes. I think you'll enjoy it. Cool. Or cool. maybe enjoy is the wrong word. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's, you're right. I'm kind of sick of hearing about it though. I'm just like I just you know I want to make my mind up and then that's that. So we'll see how I get on. Exactly. I said to Simon last week we were having a chat and uh, about it. And honestly, I felt like before I'd even been to see it, I felt like I'd seen it four times already. Mm-hmm. The amount that people were talking about it. And to be honest with you, it's it is really good, but it's not worth that much that uh, people getting that wound up about it. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, it's it's like people just need an an excuse to vent at something, does it? They always need an excuse to blame something. So yeah, on to this week. um, Going on the sort of creepy antagonist of of this week's pick, and that character certainly earned cult horror status over the years with his dastardly death contraptions. Um, But it got me thinking about other iconic horror movie characters. I don't think there's there's a genre like it really in terms of uh, characters who just stay in the conscious of everyone and get so ingrained in pop culture. So who would you count as your uh, numero one in uh, the horror villain stakes? Um, it's really predictable, but definitely Hannibal Lecter. Like, that's the hill I'll die on. Like, anyone who knows me, you know, I've got I've got literally a painting of Hannibal Lecter in my living room. <laughs> Are you related to him? No, one Hannibal Lecter stan, right? <laughs> I just think he's fantastic. And, you know, I, um, I've seen the films, I've read the books. I just think because you sympathise with him in such a unique way, you know, you kind of think, those victims deserve it, you know? And it's kind of a weird way to look at things, you know? Because their rules no, are discourteous, so... <laughs> That would be mine. Yeah, that's a great pick. I had, I briefly had Hannibal on my list, but I've actually gone for, I find him too charming. So I've gone with the ones who scare me the most. Uh, as charming as you can find someone who, who eats a guy's brain in front of his own, <laughs> in front of dinner guests. So I was sort of going 50 50. I was like, Leatherface, you know, 
terrible table manners, horrible family, like <laughs> absolutely disgusting man. But I've landed on the scariest of all for me is Pazuzu, the shit who possessed Regan in The Exorcist. So I've seen The Exorcist, but never in one sitting. Like I've always had to turn it off sort of halfway through. <laughs> and I put it down to that bastard of a demon. I'm not even religious. <laughs> it scares the living shite out of me. He's horrible. And yeah, he's my number one, I would say. I have a confession. I've never seen The Exorcist because I'm too scared. <laughs> That's fair. It is full on. Yeah, too, far too scared. I mean, it, it, I don't. I don't know if you're aware, Lucy, but uh, me and James are really bad with the horror movies. So. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Absolute scaredy cat. So we decided to do a Halloween, Halloween October yeah. of all horror movies. This <laughs> My one is, uh, it's an extension of last week, uh, Freddy Krueger, by a, by a distance. By having such a humongous fear of him as a child, uh, I've now grown into an adult. I, I really like him. I think he's, uh, Robert England is just, he's so funny with it. And he's just, it's a really, really good, it's almost as good a, comic, a comedy character as he is a horror character. Yeah, all these iterations are amazing of it. But then also, honourable mention to Pinhead, in the series, the Hellraiser films, that was one of those ones where I watched as a child and really shouldn't have watched as a child. Yeah. <laughs> that was horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. He is scary. He is a really, yeah, really... He's, he's terrifying. He's a very iconic looking and, yeah, it's just it just looks painful, his face, doesn't it? It's very scary. Do we do we just come across as big wimps? <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. I mean, I'm usually scared by horror as well, as much as I enjoy it. I think, you know, I enjoy things that scare me more because they did their job, if that makes sense, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you it's see a like horror a- film and you're like, oh, that wasn't scary, you're like, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> yeah, it's like a roller coaster, isn't it? Like adrenaline and, you know, by the end of it, you're like, that was amazing. But during it, you're absolutely shatting. <laughs> That's what I always tell <laughs> yeah. people. Like, I hate roller coasters, so maybe this is my adrenaline. I don't know. And yeah, I feel safer. Good, yeah. I can turn it off. <laughs> you can't turn a roller coaster off when you're mid roller coaster. So. <laughs> That's true. Or, or mute it. I do that. I I I mute the film I'm watching to like ease the scare. <laughs> God, I'm so tired. I'm confessing too much now. <laughs> Far too much. No, I remember I was at a sleepover once when I was about 14, and we got The Exorcist. You know, after it had just been reissued, and everybody else was laughing at it, and I've never been more scared in my entire life. And I'm just looking up at the ceiling like trying to cover my ears so that I don't look a big wimp in front of my mates I've never been more scared in my life honestly and I still can't watch it all the way through in one sitting it's always like that's a bit too intense for me I'm going to go off and make a cup of tea or whatever yeah it's a wrong I need to write definitely yeah well considering how much we love Friedkin on this podcast as well oh yeah uh, yeah recent recent free I've only recently got into the Friedkin stuff but yeah he's bloody brilliant he's not bad is he <laughs> He does a good job. He does a good job. Uh, so, yes, on to the movie now. So, Lucy, as our guest, uh, we're very lucky to have you with us tonight. Uh, it's only fair for you to pick the movie. So, in keeping with it being October and Halloween's fast approaching, uh, what underrated or unsuccessful horror movie do you think deserves a second chance? Okay, this is this is going to divide opinion, but I have gone with Saw 2. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, that's sequel. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, I honestly, I love Saw 2. And I mean, I will I will defend it to the death. And that's kind of why I'm here. So I'm ready. I want to play a game. Greetings and welcome 
Right now, you are breathing in a deadly nerve agent. <coughs> the only way out is to find an antidote. One is inside the safe. You all possess the combination in the back of your mind. Let the game begin. Let's just take out this whole house. What is Run! Live or die, make your choice. There's something that we're not seeing. You did this. Open the door! There's nowhere to go! Where is he? So I guess we should get into the criteria of how it qualifies to be on the podcast. So obviously, as you might guess, it isn't on the box office metric, given that there's been about 17 of these (laughs) made. And uh, this was an absolute monster hit when it came out. So it made $147 million worldwide off a $4 million budget, which I think we can all agree is not bad. That's successful. I can't believe the budget was $4 million for this. The difference on that, that's that's an amazing game. So yeah, it's definitely not box office, is it? Yeah, I think it's interesting. It was sort of the Blumhouse model before Blumhouse was about. So you keep the costs really low and then you have big marketing campaign and then a huge hit. I think because it's had so many installments in the franchise, we sort of think of it as this big studio picture, but the first one was even lower budget than this, maybe under $2 million. And then they've just progressively increased the budgets with the success of each one. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What 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 do you remember um, at the at the time, Lucy? Like you know, with the first one coming out and and this one. Um, did 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 you did you go to the cinema to watch it at all? No, I didn't. I am very young. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, sorry, I forget how how old I am. I am twenty four, so no. Um, but I did see the first one on Channel Four after begging my mum when I was younger to watch it. I was like, "We want to see Saw. We want to see." And it was on Channel Four. I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to watch Saw." And then because I loved Saw so much, I just I watched Saw 2 later on and I just thought it was a very worthy sequel. And, you know, I love the fact that Tobin Bell as Jigsaw got a lot more screen time, of course, and you get a lot more um, context into what he's doing. So I just thought of, yeah, I, I kind of watched it straight away because I had access to both. I was lucky in that sense that I could go away and, and grab Saw 2 as soon as I'd seen the first one. Um, but no, I've only seen two Saw films in the cinema. <laughs> I've seen them all. I, have you seen them all? I, I've only seen the first two and none in the cinema. Yeah, I've only seen the first two. And I saw this one at the cinema. I think I was at university at the time when this will have come out. I remember really, really liking it at the time. So it's been an interesting rewatch now because I haven't seen it again. And even though I enjoyed it, I decided not to carry on with the series as well. So it's uh, it's been an interesting rewatch, this one for me. Yeah. Did, did you go to the cinema to watch it because you're a massive Donnie Wahlberg fan, James? <laughs> well, obviously, I have my new Kids on the Block poster up on my dorm room. In- I, had, I had the new Kids on the Block keyboard the official keyboard. <laughs> it, came with, it came with a little music book so you could play all their songs, like Hanging Tough. It was really good. <laughs> Lucy's got no <laughs> idea what we're talking about. That's good enough. <laughs> so anyway, back in the late 80s, early 90s, Lucy, there was this boy band from America. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> <New kids. laughs> 
Oh, do you remember when they did like a Take That, Simon, and they came back as a man band oh, in like the mid-2000s? Yeah. I like to think it was on the back of the box office success of Saw 2 that Donnie <laughs> thought it was time to get the band back together. I just love seeing Donnie Wahlberg, because most people sort of round our age group, certainly your age group, Lucy, will know him more of as, a, as an actor than a singer. Uh-huh. And then he's come back as the new kids on the block and he's doing all this sexy dancing in his like, little <laughs> vests and stuff. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, Donnie. Oh, Donnie. So, yeah, uh, this film obviously failed uh, on the critical stakes. That's how it qualifies it's one of the lowest we've we've done so far. So Rotten Tomatoes has got it. It's really? 30, 37%, which oh, is wow. pretty low. Uh, audience isn't much better, to be honest, at 59%. Uh, Metacritic's quite a similar story critically with 40 out of 100, uh, with a slightly better user score at 6.9. It's quite interesting, the, the, the critical scores, because I remember the first one completely blowing me away. To, when I first saw that, I was like, this is amazing. Like it was a really simple film, mostly in one room. The twist at the end was like brilliant, and I was like, "This is yeah." Like, I've never seen anything like this in term, you know, especially in the in the horror genre. Uh-huh. I was like, "This is this is brilliant," and I was really surprised to see that that did equally as bad when it first came out critically. Like that got pretty much slated as well. Like similar similar sort of scores, but yeah, I, I feel. Uh, a bit obliged to um, uh, go into the San Francisco Chronicle because you know, <laughs> as always, we, we always we like to go into into into, uh, into those guys. I don't know how it's happened, but they they're our touchstone. They're, they're the craziest they reviewers in the world. They're all over the place, Lucy. Honestly, like you, we did a we did an episode uh, on Click, the Adam Sandler movie from two thousand and five. They gave that five stars. What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're nuts. Uh, in particular, there's a there's a chap called Mick LaSalle who's like, he's given us some great joy on this podcast with his reviews. We're trying to goad him into all, coming onto the podcast. The it's not worked so far. Absolutely all over the place. So yeah, from on the San Francisco Chronicle, this was from Peter Hartlaub, uh, who he give it he give it uh, two out of four. So it's not like super generous, you know, pretty down the line. As it was in the first saw, audiences are faced with insane leaps in logic that sabotage the last part of the film. But I quite like that about the sort of films. Yeah. Like you have to just sort of let let it slide on all those like uh, you know the weird sort of leaps in faith in terms of logic. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Yeah, Empire gave it three stars. So this was from Alan Morrison. Uh, morally dubious it may be, but this gory melange of torture, terror, and darkly humorous depravity appeals to the sick puppy within us all. That's a good honest review, isn't it? I think that's pretty smart. <laughs> Yeah, that is spot on. Yeah, that's what these films are aiming for, isn't it? It's like that delight in, I call it Pat Sharp, the later years. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just basically funhouse for the psychotic. Um, and the reason that you go to these films is to see what Jigsaw has potentially cooked up next for his, uh, for his unwitting victims. Definitely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was there was one last review. Uh, this is this is actually from Letterboxd um, from uh, someone called Kate. TM, so she's trademarked a name, don't know how she managed to do <laughs> this. I, I really laughed at this. How has Jigsaw not killed himself on one of his house traps yet? Could you imagine him just climbing his stairs to get some like oatmeal or something and he forgets about the knee <laughs> smasher 5000? <laughs> bitch just wipes the fuck out. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny! <laughs> I 
I love Letterboxd. It's got some absolute belters on there. <laughs> you just imagine that. He gets up. He's not very well, is he? He gets up. He's a bit groggy. He goes to hit the light switch. Oh, no, that's the guillotine. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he's drugged up on his cancer medication. So, like, how is he functioning? So good. I mean, how he's building this stuff, exactly. I'll never know. <laughs> oh, I love that review. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, uh, Letterboxd has got some absolute belters on there. But, yeah, so it's... um. Interesting to see how the critical side of it, especially with you know the first film in the series, equally sort of reviewed quite lowly, and noses turned up at it. I guess so. Yeah, that's that's how that's how we qualify. Pretty meandering, lowly reviews, I'd say. So, Lucy, you're you're a critic. Why do you think that the critical fraternity might have taken against this film? Because obviously, you you really like it. Yeah. No, I think. This is the thing, I, I listened to your Halloween uh, H2O episode and I think it's true that horror franchises, people often have a lot of scrutiny towards them. And, you know, once you've had one good idea, because Saw was quite a unique idea, doing it again, yeah. people are kind of like, oh, again? You know, and I kind yeah. of get yeah. that because later on in the franchise, certainly my relationship with the Saw franchise kind of depletes. <laughs> and by the time you get a Jigsaw, like the most recent one, I'm just like, this is terrible, you know? So it's basically mm. about how you can keep a concept going. And I just don't think people might have thought that Saw 2 was necessary, I guess. Yeah. Because the way the first film ended, in my opinion, it could have just ended and that was it. Because it was such yeah, a yeah. strong ending. So I've seen a lot of reviews when it was like, this was such a cash grab, this was pointless. And I can get that criticism. But for me, I, you know, I disagree for my own reasons. Yeah. No, I think I think that's pretty spot on, to be honest. I think the... The horror horror genre is certainly the most polarizing in terms of the critic side of it. Definitely, it's it's certainly a genre what most of uh, most professional critics are a bit sniffy over. Um, it's definitely the genre where people most don't care about what critics have to say about them. They just go and see them anyway. Yeah, I think they almost become sort of critic proof after a certain point, don't they? So like once they get like so obviously the first one will have had a huge audience reaction and then there's another one coming. And then it just became an annual thing, didn't it? Every October there would be a new Saw film to the point now that it's actually been rebooted already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and like I said before, and that you know, the lead up to that like the villain question, he you know, Jigsaw's become in that now. He he is amongst your Freddy Kruegers and your Jason Voorhees and your Michael Myers. Um, Absolutely. You know, they definitely had that impact in the in was it the noughties, the the like Yeah. Yeah, the early to late noughties really, wasn't it? That whole decade. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that I like about the Saw franchise as a whole is I do think Jigsaw is a very strong character and I just think Tobin Bell's fantastic, so, you know. Yeah, he's great. He's really good and he's my favourite part of this film, to be honest. I just think he's... he's he know, I love it when an actor sort of understands what it is that they're making and they and they fully go for it. He knows he's not doing Shakespeare here, but he approaches it like he is. His line delivery is so great, and um, yeah, he's, just his posture and everything, even though he's just in that chair, he comes across as so powerful, even though he's a dying man, essentially. He's really, really good. He's really good in this film. The Flickering Myth Podcast is a source for all of the weekly entertainment news that we could possibly be bothered to talk about. Tune in every Tuesday for a roundtable discussion featuring a host of Flickering Myth writers and contributors. You can find us on all your favorite podcatchers as well as right here at flickeringmyth.com, part of the Flickering Myth Podcast Network. So yeah, the, the, let's. Uh, I guess we'd 
go into the the film itself. We open with a lovely prologue of a guy waking up in one of Jigsaw's now famous contraptions. And we're just straight in, aren't we? Straight from where we left off on the first one. I'd completely forgotten about this part, and this isn't the most squirm-inducing moment for me. Anything with eyes is just a no-no for me completely. (laughs) The idea of this trap that he's set is that he's... Has he buried the key in the guy's eye socket? Basically, yeah. He's got got to cut the um, key out of his eye socket, otherwise the trap will close it on his face. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> what? Like, I'm in the front room, like, Giffy, my wife comes in. She's like, What are you doing in here at all? It's like, Oh, this is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> but I'm in. It's like a bit of a take on the reverse bear trap from the first film, isn't it? Um, yeah. Although it's going to actually crush his head this time. Yeah, I think they refer to it as the Venus fly trap in this one because it's obviously yeah. it goes inwards rather than outwards. Um, yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool because obviously Venus flytraps, even if you're not that bothered about plants, they're pretty fascinating plants, right? The fact yeah. that they can like eat flies and stuff, like, and they're, they're pretty mm-hmm. violent. So I like the fact yeah. that they took inspiration for that trap. I just think it's one of my favorite ones, actually. If, that, if that's probably a weird thing to say, but yeah, <laughs> out of the franchise, <laughs> it's one of my, I think it's a really well designed trap. Yeah, yeah, I do like the ingenuity that goes into the traps. And it's like, you almost curse yourself for enjoying this stuff, don't you? Like, <laughs> yeah. oh God, what's wrong with me? But at the same time, that's what you go to a, a film of this type to see. You want to see that ingenuity, don't you? Like that Kevin McAllister esque. Uh, yeah ingenuity that goes into the making of these contraptions exactly yeah (laughs) yeah that's almost what you come to watch the films for and then when all the sequels come out it's like right how do we better the last one yeah they keep up in the ante don't they yeah um but yeah this open is a good sort of setting for for tone isn't it like we've got you know the editing's really frenetic and the the grades really it's really stylized that you know it's all quite green and yeah it looks pretty cool. It's quite a. It's a very stylish opening. It's a very what's well, so it's a very visceral opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I, I just think it's a really, really good setup to to like what's to come. Yeah, brilliant. And, it, and it's not just like a. Uh, it's not just like a a standalone cold open that you sometimes get in horror films of this type. It actually does tie into the plot as well. Like, so it turns out that the victim in this particular trap turns out to be Donnie Wahlberg's CI, doesn't it? And then that sort of kicks the plot into motion. Sometimes you're cold open, you just, particularly with a horror film, you just see, you know, just an incidental killing that doesn't actually matter in the whole scheme of the movie. Uh, But I like, what I do like about this, and, you know, uh, make no mistake, these are, you know, in the best possible way, they're quite trashy movies, but I think they work really hard on the on the story in terms of making it interesting and making sure that everything fits together like a jigsaw, but umptish, <laughs> uh, and making sure that all the plot threads do come together, even though it is convoluted and there is a bit of you know leap of faith going on in terms of the storytelling. It is all planned out correctly, and everything does sort of move from one. It moves the action along coherently yeah i totally agree i mean obviously you mentioned that the the first victim was kind of like a an eye for the for the cops and that's exactly why they target his eye right it's it's all kind of like sick humor basically yes yeah. like oh you know you know you're spying on people huh? cut your eye out you know <laughs> so out of order <laughs> it's it's you know it's funny because that it was at the empire review that said it was funny 
like darkly funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, didn't yeah. realize that until like just two seconds ago, and I was like, you know what? Actually, there's probably some kind of hilarious irony in these traps if you really look into them. Um, so I can yeah. kind of understand that point. Yeah, and that definitely comes to the fore in the later traps when we get into the fun house itself. Uh, but we'll we'll get to that as we progress. Yeah. So now we're, as you say, James, this leads us on to meeting um, the less the less hench Wahlberg brother, <laughs> uh, Donny Wahlberg. Who is um, Detective Matthews? Who is the who's the sort of hard-boiled detective? Who we, we we're quite it, it's quite a a good scene with his son. It's just exposition scene, isn't it? Where it's like, right, we can't be bothered with this story nonsense. We'll just get it all out in. Like, we haven't got time for it. We've got to get going. <laughs> we, we need to show that. We need to show that this guy, uh, his son, doesn't like him. His marriage is on the rocks. We could do that in in just a in like a boardwalk conversation, and then that's it sorted. And they just get it done like two minutes. <laughs> If that, it's like 30 seconds, isn't it? His son's been done for shoplifting or whatever. He bails him out and he says, I don't want to live with you anymore. And he's like, well, why don't you go home? And then that's it, basically. It's like, like, why don't you, why don't you go home to your mother who's now my soon-to-be-divorced wife? Exposition. <laughs> <laughs> he's like such a stereotype, isn't he? Angry, divorced, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> I think he's just a Wahlberg. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> That's just how Wahlbergs talk to each other. That's just Sunday dinner. But I think I think I, I think Donny Wahlberg's really good at this. Actually, yeah. I like because uh, it was him. I never knew this until years and years later. That it was him in the Sixth Sense, wasn't it? Yeah, he was yeah, yeah. guy at the start. He shot Bruce Willis. Yeah, shot Bruce Willis. <laughs> spoiler! Don't spoil the end of the Sixth I'm not Sense. Spo- no, that's in the beginning, Simon. If you remember correctly, you only oh, find yes, out he's a ghost at the end. Oh shit! Oh, that's the spoiler. <laughs> There it is. Uh, so yeah, uh, we're established to Detective Matthews. He's been given information to catch Jigsaw because they find the informant who's been murdered. Donny's been name checked on the ceiling, so he's he's really you know he knows Jigsaw knows who he is, and they're led to a, a house to catch him. So he takes a big SWAT team with him. Uh, it seems a bit too easy, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know something's going to go down at this point. Yeah. And that's the excitement, isn't it? It's like, ooh, what's going to happen in this creepy house? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do love this scene. I do love the suspense in this scene when they're kind of going up the stairs and trying to, you know, oh, it's just good. Yeah, the cops are in the cage. We, 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 it's as if the audience knows more than they do. And they're like, exactly. and they're just like, you idiots. Yeah. Like, you know, it's never going to be Did you watch the either. first one? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's going to happen? Oh, you don't go storming in there, you idiots. I think that that's part of the joy of Solo, isn't it? You're watching it and you're kind of judging these people because you have this like omniscient view of things. You're like, huh, you're not going to go in there, you're going to die. But if you were there, you know you would go in. You know you would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, w- I would be the first one to die in a Solo film, not going to lie. Like, if I was in that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm done. Like, you know. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just wouldn't, I'd, I'd just cry in the corner until the virus <laughs> took me. <laughs> yeah, if I was in that house, you know, when they all, I'm, we're jumping ahead slightly, but when they all wake up, I just wouldn't get out of the corner. Like, they see, <laughs> I'd just be weeping in the corner, which would probably bring on my demise a lot quicker, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, probably get yeah. sick of you, but I'll shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'd turn on me in a heartbeat. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> Everyone would. So uh, after after some poor coppers get uh, 
well, one gets his shins broken, which is <laughs> painful. I always forget that bit, and then I'm like, ooh. Oh, <laughs> really horrible. Um, and then the rest of them get electrocuted in the little cage they're in. Yeah. Just one last joke from the jigsaw before they catch him. But then they all catch him, and uh, they realise he's not well. He's hooked up to loads of... Uh, he's not a well man. Machines. He's not a well man. Is this, is this like, Rob's... Is this Rob Robin? The <laughs> Rob is Jigsaw. Is this what he does? That's why this he can't be he's doing. All this time he's just, it's because he's hes trying to concoct these ingenious death traps for, for the, the Rongans of Warrington. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, poor Rob. We love you, Rob. Sorry. Uh, so, yeah, they, they catch uh, Jigsaw. He reveals one more trick, uh, leads... Detective Matthews to another room where he sees a monitor and on the monitor there's a group of eight people who wake up in a room much like the first one and they wake up in in a house and then this is the sort of kick into the rest of the film now isn't it we've got Mm -hmm. the place where they are where they've caught Jigsaw in his lair and then we've got this fun house of all these people who've been trapped well it's not fun for them (laughs) yeah And Jigsaw, I would argue. I think he's having a lovely old time. Oh, yeah, yeah, he loves it. So we go into the monitors then, don't we? And the whole rest of the film, we're cutting in between the people in the house who are in part of Jigsaw's game and Donnie Wahlberg and Jigsaw having a having a chat, basically, to try and... Because we find, when he looks at the monitors, that Donnie Wahlberg's son, Danny, is actually in there with the rest of the people who are going to have to play Jigsaw's game. Mm. So, yeah, so he's now vested in those people in the... Well, it, it's a room at this point, isn't it? We don't know it's a house. We just assume yeah. it's a room like in the first one because the first one was a bathroom, wasn't it? This one yeah. just looks like a sort of uh, a sitting room. Donnie loses his mind and, and, and this is where the standoff happens, starts off between him and Jigsaw. And and yeah, as you say, we're cutting back and forth between this house and, and, and them two in this standoff. Um, and we cut to this room and we're introduced to the eight characters it's quite loose, isn't it? I can't remember the first one, but that Amanda is in the first one, isn't she? Yes, she is. Yeah, she's the reverse bear trap. So in the very in the first film, she has a reverse bear trap applied to her face, and uh, she has to cut a key out of a man who's still alive, who's had a key put into his stomach to, in order to release the trap so that she doesn't die. And she's one of the f- only people who survived Jigsaw's game in the first one. Right. And then we find in this one that she's been put into uh, into the game again. Is that right, Lucy? I think that's right on my soul law. Amanda's pretty <laughs> significant in the sense that she is, I think, at the time of the first film, she's like the only one who did survive. So, yeah. you know, seeing her again is probably confusing to some Saw fans, but obviously as the film goes on, you understand why. But it's nice, yeah. it's nice to see Shawnee Smith back, though. I think she's a very good actress, and I think, you know, Amanda's a very good character, and I think that's part of the reason I love the film so much, is her presence. Yeah, she's good. I, I actually, you know, I think it's there's a certain amount of acting in it what's a bit sort of schlocky and a bit sort of, uh, you know, a bit hammy in that sort of video nasty way. Not that that's a bad thing because I think it suits a film like this, to be honest. Yeah. But then there are some performances which are really good. Donnie Wahlberg's good, as we've said. Tobin Bell's really good, as we've said. Um, and yeah, Shawnee Smith's the other one who's, who's actually really good. She She pulls off being a... A, a tweaker very well <laughs> she's constantly <laughs> on edge yeah she um she's great and i think you know it's important for those three characters to be the ones that have the most substance because they are the central of the plot 
I think the other yeah. ones in the nicest way possible are just disposable because you know oh, that yeah. you know stuff's going to go down, right? So they're, yeah. they're there, but they're not necessarily going to be there for very long. <laughs> Yes. Um, so I definitely uh, think it's important to have the three characters that at least, you know, kind of carry the film almost. Mm, yeah, totally. And, and you know, they they are actually pretty good, really good at, at, at times. And they do they do hold the film up to a degree what's a bit more than... I always say that, the, you know, the lowest... This pod's all about positivity, but I'm going to say that the lowest sort of bar I have in terms of uh, acting in this sort of film is... Human Centipede. Have you seen the Human Centipede? No, I refuse to watch. Seen all three of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that first one. Are they any good, Lucy? <laughs> uh, good is an interesting word. Um, <laughs> I mean, the first one, right? I mean, it's a bit of a tangent. The first one is kind of interesting in the sense when you're like, oh man, this is a morbid concept. You know, like this guy wants to sew people together, whatever. But then it just kind of wears off very quickly in the second and third are just trying to be as offensive as possible. But they yeah. haven't got any substance. I mean, not that the first one's a masterpiece, but at least it was a concept. At least it was something. And then it yeah. was like, I'm just going to really offend people and have horrible scenes. And, you know, <laughs> the second one has some horrible scenes in it. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend them, no. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> so I put that as, like, my low bar of horror films, the first yes, one. Yes, Because, <laughs> like... Uh, like the acting in that is 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 pretty bad, and these films aren't ever seen to for for good acting. You're not here to see, you know, no, no, Shakespeare level, Pacino, De Niro, uh, <laughs> Ian McKellen. I'm going to chuck Ian McKellen in. Don't know why. why not? <laughs> just, why not? I'm imagining those actors like, like in a saw trap now, just being like, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> just, just Ian McKellen going. And how do I get this mask off my head? <laughs> I bet Ian McKellen was offered. Um, the part of Jigsaw to start with. Like, they're just like, right, go big or go home. Right, and they just slowly got down the list. <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the first the first victim of, of the traps is... Um, well, is... is you, I don't even... I can't even remember I don't think name. he gets a character name, no. No, um, but they... He's uh, like the chartered accountant-looking one, isn't he? He's obviously the yeah. one... Because we, we established quite quickly that a lot of them are ex-cons, aren't they? Um, so we assume he's like the white collar criminal of the bunch. But there's that yes. idiot that gets shot in the face. Like, what is that? That's the first victim, really, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, the one yeah. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah. I'm going to open this door, bang, and it's like, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty like good war, like to begin with. It was. Do not use the cane. He's like, oh. I'm going to use... That's, oh, well, that's a good idea, isn't it, you idiots? <laughs> yeah. And that's what I mean. It's these kind of disposable actors that you kind of just roll your eyes and go, oh, my God. So, yeah. Honestly, I don't even think his name was really given because he just dies so quickly. <laughs> I've completely yeah. forgotten what it is. He is, yeah. He's just like the chartered accountant of the bunch. He's the most disposable. He puts his eye to the people. I mean, what is he expecting to see out there at all? <laughs> oh, dear. Someone might have ordered a pizza hut or something. <laughs> <laughs> Looking if he was if he was going for he was a he was a very portly gentleman so maybe he was he was a bit hungry and hoped someone <laughs> but yeah he gets he gets shot in the face yep so that's giving the clue to all the people in in this room apart from Amanda who knows the deal already yeah nobody's listening to her which is frustrating yeah that sort of sets the stall out for the rest of them because they're like oh shit this this is actually serious mm-hmm. we will die. They they've all been what have they all been injected with some sort of venom or something or like some virus? Yeah, there's a they have like vents in the walls and it's like a nerve agent. So obviously, like the more yes. you inhale, the more ill you become. Yeah. So 
and then the, and then there's like um antidotes like um on each of the traps that they have to like obtain that's basically the end goal is right survive your game get your antidote and then walk out is essentially you know the best case scenario but as we know that doesn't happen <laughs> yes no it's not it's not that easy not that easy. Um, <laughs> so yeah we're, we're you know this sort of middle portion of the film now is basically each room is just a horrible uh trap isn't it or a horrible way to get this um the the, the antidote for it yeah and there's like a little um this there's there's always been a theory that jigsaw is just a grown up kevin McAllister, and i think the little uh the little cassettes that go in like the uh it's like he's almost using like his talk boy his from talk boy. Home Alone <laughs> still oh, it like is. old habits die hard yeah and uh there's always a little message for the person who's got to complete the particular it's like a really fucked up version of the crystal maze isn't it so um <laughs> you, basically you've got So he he, lo- he leaves like little messages for them to play back on tape recorders, which really ages the movie as well, given the um, <laughs> given the way technology's moved on. And each time the person who's got the message on there, what I like about it is he always tells them how they can complete the task. Yeah, it's going to be horrific, but it's all about how much you want to live. And he he makes it quite difficult for them, but there is always a way out of each of the individual tasks. Yeah, that that's his thing, and I think you know, um, that kind of dialing back to his original conversation with uh, Detective Matthews, he's like, "Oh, you know, you're killing all these people." And he goes, "I never killed anybody. You know, I always gave them a chance or something." So that's kind of his thing. Like, yeah. in a way, he wants them to survive. He wants them to like redeem themselves, but these people rarely ever do. Yeah, because he sort of down in one of the because so at the at the whole time we're intercutting between the house and Detective Matthews and Jigsaw, and he sort of downloads his whole philosophy and why he does what he does essentially. So when he got diagnosed with cancer, um, and there's a nice little Easter egg there, isn't there? That it's actually the doctor from the first film who mm, ends up yes, in the his name, yeah. is the guy who gave him his diagnosis. Which you know to end up shoving him in that I can't remember the exact setup for the original Saw, but to shove him in that room just for, talk about shooting the messenger. <laughs> like he didn't give you cancer <laughs> you know what i mean like he was angry at him because he was cheating on his wife with his like secretary or something so jake's oh, right. was like how dare you you're supposed to be a family man oh get in the trap basically um, <laughs> you know just to put a bit extreme, blood, yeah, it? get in the trap but yeah um he always has his reasons as messed up as they are even if you know <laughs> you haven't necessarily wronged him he's like right that's it like um, mm. Yeah, so that that's why he originally kidnapped Doctor Gordon is because he was unfaithful and he was like an absent doctor and yada yada yada. So yeah, okay, thanks for that. I'm glad you're here, Lucy, because we we just feel like seems a bit out of order. <laughs> <laughs> All these people here have had uh, bad pasts, um, apart from uh, Donnie Wahlberg's son, uh, who's just guilty of being Donnie Wahlberg's son. I guess. Yeah. The next one is the hobo-looking guy who. He gets accused of being the jigsaw and setting up the traps, doesn't he? Because yeah. one of the uh, women in there, she recognises him because she, the last thing she remembers before she woke up in this room was this guy sort of putting her to sleep um, and kidnapping her. He, he he has to get a key. Is it a key and uh, one of these antidote things? But it, it's in a furnace. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's two of the syringes. He has to grab both of them and get out. Essentially, and it goes about as well as you'd expect to be honest. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great, and I think that there's like this sort of like um, dial on the side that you could like twist, and then you know he would he would, yeah. he would burn his arm very severely, but he would get out. 
So it makes yes. me wonder why would you not just burn your arm instead of your whole body and die? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, yeah. just, 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 you and know, that, I mean, whatever. <laughs> maybe he thought he'd gone too far and he couldn't get to it without setting the rest of him on fire. I don't know. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that's the whole thing, isn't it? How much do you want to live, essentially? Um, it's easy to criticise these people, but we would never be in that situation, hopefully. <laughs> so, well, well, hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully <laughs> Depends what what Rob's reaction to hearing this podcast is. To be perfectly I'm honest, I don't live near you guys. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, we we we've touched on that. This the the bit where Jigsaw sort of reveals his 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 motives and everything. And yeah, it is just going back and forth. And and during the time in the house, we realise that um, is it Javier or Xavier or I don't know how you say it, the big hench guy. He's a bit of a prick. So he's sort of. <laughs> He sort of he sort of becomes the secondary villain, doesn't he? In in this piece, yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. In the house, he sort of clocks uh, that they need to do all these tasks. He's very much the alpha male. Oh, he's so alpha, it's ridiculous. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys ever watch um, Bear Grylls, The Island. I've seen it before. Yeah, yeah. And when you watch that, God, the alpha male comes out really quick, and they're always an absolute prick. So this is the, this is that sort of guy where he thinks everything he says is right. In the next trap, he throws poor Amanda in a vat of needles. Oh, I know. Oh, which, this is oh, it, this, this is, is so awful. One. Yeah, it's and oh yeah, all right, mate. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know I did like this trap because like I think he was like a drug dealer or something. So Jigsaw's like, yeah, yeah. oh, you know, like well, why don't you you know suffer the same pain that like your sort of uh, addicts did? I guess because you know he, he didn't care, he just cared about the money. He wanted to get them hooked on on heroin or whatever it was. It ju- it just shows the kind of person that he is. That he was willing to throw a random woman into a vat of needles. It's like who does that? You know, yeah. like obviously you wouldn't want to get in yourself, but why would you throw somebody else in? It's just, it's very, you're right. It's the alpha male complex. Yeah. And oh man, like I'm not even that scared of needles because you know, like I've got piercings, I've got tattoos, needles are fine. But seeing that, I was like, oh God. Like, yeah, same. It's too much. It's oh, too much. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, the, and I like the sound effects when she gets chucked in and oh God, it's just like, oh, oh, this lot, is the second like, oh. a lot of dry heaving going on. Yeah. <laughs> And those needles look absolutely filthy, don't yeah. they? Like, yeah, hats off to the production design. Like, they really uh, did a good job on getting the squelchiness and disgustingness across in that particular sequence. And there's that, like, yellow sort of horrible, sick tinge to the room as well, the way it's lit. It's like, oh, oh God, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, because each room sort of has their own little look, doesn't it? Like, we, we're we green in the in the opening. And then we it goes a bit yellowy, and then there's obviously the bathroom, what's all really blue later on when we hit to the bathroom. So this is like, you know, we know Xavier's the bad guy in, in this house. Everyone's getting worse with this nerve gas. He clocks that there are numbers on everyone at the back of everyone's necks to get to yeah. the safe, which is going to give him the cure and the key to escape, you know, to get out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's on a one-man mission then. So the people left. It's your uh, Amanda and Daniel, and I, I can't remember the other characters' names. Yeah, but he's played like... by Glenn uh, Plummer, isn't he? Who was the famously the comic relief in Speed. <laughs> he's one of the best ancillary characters ever. Like you know, so when Keanu Reeves is trying to get on the bus in Speed, it's his car that he uses, isn't it? And he has so many. Oh, yeah. He's only on screen for about five minutes, and he has so many funny lines in that movie. And I always remember him as the dude with the car from Speed. So, <laughs> and he's still working now, like constantly working. 
but yeah, he's a bit of um, he gets in a bit of a set too, doesn't he, with old Javier, and it doesn't go too well for him. Yeah, it doesn't go too well. Um, yeah, he gets a. So is it a baseball bat filled with nails to the back of the end? Yeah. So it's yeah. Chekhov. <laughs> it's Chekhov's baseball bat filled with nails, which has been introduced right from the very start. Oh, <laughs> you know that's going in someone's head the minute you see it early on. <laughs> but I think that's a really good touch that they've put in there. They've not just like sort of gone right. So we've got Jigsaw over here with Donny Wahlberg and we've got the guys going through the trap. They then sort of turn half the fi- half the film becomes like a slasher film, doesn't it? As the rest of the victims of Jigsaw's game try and evade Javier as he's Javier is am I saying that right I keep on getting the uh the main character wrong it, it could be no one really says it do they so it could be either um so basically he's going round and he's sort of on the rampage isn't he so they've got this like stalk and kill storyline going on in the house along with mm-hmm. the traps as well and then Donny Wahlberg is getting more and more frustrated with with Jigsaw as he's not telling him where his son is and how to get his son back and uh, he decides that he's just going to beat the shit out of him basically. It's oh, a uh, brutal it's... scene isn't it Jesus yeah it's uh and in a way you kind of feel sorry for Jigsaw even though he's done all these horrible things because he's like a dying like cancer patient and then like you know Don... <laughs> Eric Matthews is on top and just like smashing him in the face and it's like oh my god like it's brutal. Yeah, it is. And snapping his fingers and all sorts. Oh, yeah. 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 Like you said before Lucy like you know he's got as depraved as they are, he does have his reasons. And, yeah. um, you know, we find out that uh, Detective Matthews has framed, has basically planted evidence against all these people because he's a bit of a bent copper. Yeah. To, you know, in order to put them away, sort of planted evidence. He's not a gr- good person either. You know, we already know he's a bad husband and a, probably a bad father. Mm-hmm. While Jigsaw's explaining all this and, you know, the, the people in the house... Yes, they were put away by planted evidence, but they're still not nice people. So you're just yeah, like, yeah. oh, maybe, you know, you do feel a bit sorry for him. <laughs> it makes you root for Jigsaw, this absolute <laughs> mental case. He was just doing horrible things to these people. Like, he's an absolute certifiable psychopath, but you sort of go, he's kind of got a point. <laughs> these are all really, really horrible people. Yeah, it's a good point, isn't it? And I think it puts you in that uncomfortable position where you're, like, sympathising with him. Yeah. The way he's like, um, you know, he's very calm with Detective Matthews, even though he's like screaming in his face and like throwing like, you know, paper around and like swearing at him and stuff. He's still really calm and considered and it's just very like chilling, isn't it? Like it's weird yeah. to watch. But I, I just absolutely love Tobin Bell. Like, I just think, you know, he is he is just the perfect fit for these films. Just love him. <laughs> yeah, he's just got that icy cold stare. Those yeah. blue eyes are so piercing, aren't they? Like, yeah. And he's just got a good like monotone voice, hasn't he? Well, there's no, there's just no emotion. Yeah, it's just also like very clinical, isn't straight it? Straight and yeah, straight and and, and clinical. Mm-hmm. He is the heart of all these films, isn't he? I say yeah. heart as if it's a if it's a if it's a warming thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but without him, they wouldn't work at all. They wouldn't be half as compelling whatsoever. I mean, I haven't seen the rest of them, so I don't know if the quality significantly goes down, Lucy, or not. But these first two, he's really, really compelling in both. Yeah, I would mm. say they kind of go down in the sense that they sort of you know rely too much on special effects and they try to just be as like kind of in your face as possible. But the yeah. one the one constant is that he's very good still. Yeah, great. They like branch out his story and they give him further motives for what he's doing and whatever. Um, and he and he really works with the material he's given. So I think that's kind of what kept me watching because I have watched all of them, like I said. But um, he's just been consistently good. <laughs> 
Is yeah. he in the reboot as well, Lucy, or have they recast that? I honestly don't know. I'm a bit nervous about this reboot, to be honest. Um, I haven't really followed it. Oh, no, the one from a few years ago, you know, the Jigsaw. Is there a prequel? Is that a prequel? It's a one? prequel, yes. He was in that very briefly, but I know that they are actually rebooting it. They're doing it again? The one, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, <God>. wow. <laughs> Again, I haven't been following this because I'm just too angry about it. So <laughs> I can't really answer any questions about it, but I know that they are rebooting it, and I'm like, why? But flipping heck, it's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Still, it makes money, doesn't it? You know, it's it's one of those things. How many times has Michael and Jason come back over the years? Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, I think they're gonna have to change it up slightly, though, aren't they? Because this is very, uh, it's a very naughty thing, isn't it? The whole like gore sort of thing. Well, this sort of legitimised that that genre, didn't it? 2004 Saw was a bit of a surprise hit. It came out of Sundance, believe it or not, and got really rave reviews from audiences, not so much from critics. And then they obviously thought, right, we might have a bit of a hit on our hands here. And then this script actually came out of another script and they made it into a Saw film. So the director, ah. Darren Lynn Boosman, yeah. had a script called The Desperate, and they had it at Lionsgate, and they weren't sure what to do with it. And then Saw was a hit, and they brought Leigh Wan Al, who wrote the first one, on to sort of make it more of a Saw movie, and then gave it to Darren Lynn Boosman to direct. Mm-hmm. And then obviously they just started cranking them out then. And this one sort of cemented the whole torture porn, gorno take on horror that would last for the rest of that decade, really. And then you'd have Hostel, Hostel Part 2... To a certain degree, the Final Destination movies became much more gory than they yeah. had been previously. There was loads of them. Yeah, and then it meant a reboot for all those like seventies exploitation horrors, didn't it? Like, yeah, um, Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes. Hills Have Eyes, like yeah, that. yeah. And it all brought that all all sort of back as well. Made it mainstream. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it was definitely a, a a period in the horror genre. It's not particularly scary, is it? This, no, this I think it, when I I remember watching it in the cinema, and I think it was more just the anticipation that something horrible is going to happen to someone, and you're going to have to sort. It's more of a, a endurance test than actual like traditional scares. Like you're just like, oh god, I really don't want, don't go in that room because there's <laughs> going to be something horrible in there, and I'm going to have to pretend that I'm not scared of watching you get your wrist slits or fall into a vat full of needles or whatever. So, yeah, it was more just like the anticipation. Uh, when you re-watch it, knowing what, it's a lot like watching comedy. Once you know all the jokes, it's not as funny mm-hmm. anymore. And it's the mm. same with horror films. Once you know what's coming, it's, not, it's no longer as scary. But I think the anticipation of what might be in those rooms was what really drove the fear home for the audiences. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, you know, the characters' relationships with each other as well, you know, especially if it's a a trap that involves more than one person, how will they react to each other? It's like a psychological thing, isn't it? You know, it's all just like survival of the fittest, or, you know, know, are you going to sit there and die, or are you going to do something? You know, which is interesting to, to kind of push the human psyche a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely that element to it. It's like, what would you do in this situation? Oh, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. So I'm always like the, the opening, just being like, I don't know what I'd do. Would I? Would I cut my eye out for that? I don't. I don't really know. Fall on the floor and start crying. That would be my. Oh yeah. I'd just be like, all right, just shut it now. I've, there's no just point. Close in it now. I'm not just, even going to try it now. I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be the most boring test subject. Which, you know how he like films everyone? I'd just be sat there like, okay. Like, cool. I don't know what you're going to get Let's out get of my <laughs> Fish that key out of your eye. Nah, I'm not doing that, mate. It's not <laughs> happening. Not a chance. 
it's just yeah. And he's like, what? what? Really? I want to play a game. Oh come on! <laughs> just play the game a little bit, just a tiny bit. No, not not interested. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, we've got on a, we've got a bit of tangent there. Uh, so we go to the like sort of final acts of the film. Now we get um, yeah. Xavier catches up with uh, Daniel and Amanda, who have sort of paired up together. In yeah. the meantime, uh, Addison, I think she's called, has has unfortunately died. She she saw the antidote in a box and she tried to get it, but it turned out to be reverse bloody blades so she's oh, this is so just, horrible isn't it really like, horrible. to be fair her death's really stupid because like <laughs> did, did she really think it'd be that easy to put your hand in like put one hand in and then you've got one free to release yourself with right so uh, yeah <laughs> logic yeah. i assume it's from the huffing of the fumes that she's not thinking <laughs> i've never tried that when i've I've been full of nerve gas. I must admit. <laughs> oh, have you not, Lucy? Oh, it's wild. Oh no, no I've just... <laughs> been wanting to try it, but uh, <laughs> I can let her off for being delirious. Probably, but it. Yeah. It yeah, is yeah, one yeah. of those deaths when you go, "Oh man, that was dumb," you know. <laughs> but her, hers is the most pathetic of the deaths, isn't it? Like she's yeah. just like uh, she's just left there to hang by her wrists as she just bleeds <laughs> out. <laughs> Oh, for yeah. God's sake! <laughs> yeah, Addison's death is just like, oh, don't do that. Oh, yeah, she's put. Oh, she's put both of them in. Oh, dear. Oh. oh, that's just awful, isn't it? Like, <laughs> should we move on? Poor Addison. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, um, Xavier catches up with uh, Amanda and Daniel, and we get to the bathroom from the first film. Yeah, which is a really good. Uh, because at, at this point, aside from Jigsaw and the Traps, it's it's kind of separate, isn't it? You get the you know yeah, the, yeah, nod yeah, to yeah. the Doctor's name from the first one, but that's about it. As far as we know, we're in a completely different house, but it turns out we're in the same house and it's yeah. the same same bathroom, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. That actually, I thought it was a really good. Um, and you know, the color completely changes now. It goes back yeah, to yeah, the yeah. tone of the first film. It's all really blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the strip lights come on above and yeah, you're like, oh, right, okay, we're back in the first movie now. And then you see that the two characters from the first film both dead. Spoilers, sorry, if you haven't seen the first <laughs> one. Yeah. And because uh, Donnie Wahlberg's beat the shit out of Tobin Bell, bless him, uh, got cancer ridden. <laughs> bless him. Uh, cancer ridden jigsaw. <laughs> Beaten to within an inch of his life, uh, he now le- he's leading him to the house. So I keep for Detective Matthews. I keep sorry. I keep calling him Donny Wahlberg. Uh, <laughs> we know uh, what you mean. Yeah, we know what you mean. Uh, so Detective Matthews, he he's now going um, to the house as far as he knows with Jigsaw in tow, on on route to on route to this house while Xavier is squaring up to Daniel and Amanda to try and get the numbers from the back yeah. of their neck. And at the same time, the SWAT team have found out the source of the video feed that they've been watching in uh, Jigsaw's lair, and they're en route there. So we're intercutting in between the three different bits of action at the same time. Mm. And then, and then this is where the sort of big, well, the the first sort of twist happens, isn't it? Where... Yeah, there's about three or four different reveals, isn't yeah. there? At this time, like, so this this first one, the police get to the house and they realise that it's a it's a recording. So yes. what we're watching from the house in the monitors is a recording. Alas, it's already speed, happened. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, as the the loop in speed, so it's all fake. And I remember watching this for the first time, seeing that, and just being like, "Oh, that just that bowled me over." I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, I think it's a really good twist. To be honest, I think it's excellent. I can't fault the twists in this. Yeah, they, there's a bit of a logic jump on a lot of them, but 
they've clearly been thought out correctly and they all kind of fit. You can make them all work within the narrative, definitely. Yeah, no, I think the whole like thing with the video cameras is uh, it's really clever because obviously like Jigsaw knew fine well that it was a complete lie and that everyone was probably dead at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, but he's like, he's just, you know, like, you know, let playing them and letting them know that, you know, he's got the upper hand and whatever. And it's just, it's clever. Like, and then yeah. obviously the, the bit that follows that later on is also clever. It's just the, the last half hour is a wild ride, I think, honestly. I do. Yeah. Yeah, it is. No, I totally agree. And I think the way that these reveals and twists st- stack up in the last five and 10 minutes are, are really well done, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I bought them all. I was like, oh, yeah, that's really good. I remember watching this the first time. I was like, because the first one obviously has an amazing twist in it, mm. but then they just sort of, like with everything in this film, they just up the ante from the first one and just piled more and more on on top of uh, of what the original set up. Yeah, definitely. I think I kind of like Xavier's like little sort of twist as well, the fact that he can't actually read his own number. Yeah. And then Amanda's like, well, you know, that's all well and good if you get ours, but what are you going to do? We're not going to tell you yours. So he literally cuts the back of his neck off. And you're like, yeah. oh man, like, because I didn't see that bit coming either. Because it, you know, no, it, no. it didn't like strike me that there'd be no way of him looking in a mirror or something. So I was like, oh man, yeah. is, is he gonna? Oh, he's gonna, you know? And you're like, oh no. And that was good, just to kind of showcase how psychotic he was at this point. Yeah, definitely. And it's again, it points to uh, Jigsaw's sort of intelligence as well. Is that you realise at that point there's no mirrors in the house at all, and there's no mirrors in that room whatsoever, like. He'd obviously he thought ahead uh, in terms of you know that they're going to have to work together or you know something horrible is going to have to happen. And when he cuts that bit of skin off and then he puts it in his pocket of his joggers, oh. like oh. <laughs> after all that, after all that, like he has this. It's a really well edited scene where he cuts and he cuts it deep as well. He doesn't just he does, take yeah. the top couple. He t- he takes the whole chunk out, sticks it in his pocket. And then uh, Daniel wakes up and slices his throat, and it's like, oh, I did that for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. It's like a very sort of like, oh, okay, and you're dead. Because <laughs> it was a good milk. It was a well milked scene that was. Like, it was, he yeah, proper yeah. hammed it up. Like music was rising. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. It really bad, and then yeah, he just he just gets killed like within the next minute. <laughs> like, like, hysterical oh. saw like you know editing where the camera spins round and everything's going mental, and you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. do love that actually. I think it's a yeah, it's a good point, Lucy. Like, uh, really good point to shout out the editing and sound design of these movies. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Yeah, you know, take them or leave. If you if you don't like the the gory aspects of it, or you you know you think the story's basic or whatever, the editing and sound design are so good in these movies. Yep. So just to like name check, so Tom Bielik and Paul Shikata were the sound effect editors on the film who did an amazing job. And then the sound mixer, Rick Penn as well, who yep. uh, obviously brought it all together. It's just amazing. Like in terms of that modern, the modern way to edit a film, you know, when it became more digital and was yeah. you know, a bit more expansive, these guys just went to town on it. Kevin, I don't know how you say his surname, Kevin Grutert was the film editor who did all the other movies in the franchise. All right, cool. And he also worked on The Strangers, which might That's be... another torture porn one, isn't it? Uh, that's, I think that's the most terrifying film I've ever seen. <laughs> Is that the one with Liv Tyler? Yeah. Um, the middle 45 minutes of that film... It 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 is so scary. 
It's so scary. Yeah, no, it's it's that kind of like believable home invasion, though. It's sick. Oh yeah, yeah. It's... And it's the facelessness, and it's oh yeah, I can understand <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> so he he was the he was the film editor on that as well. Yeah, but uh, those guys. I mean, obviously there was there was more people involved. It's a movie. There's more than you know the one, two, three, four people involved. But what an amazing job they did editing and sound design. It's just it's so well done. We we spoke about um, Man on Fire, James. Yeah. Know, quite a few months ago and how that was edited to the max yeah definitely all all the same bells and whistles as this and you've just got to appreciate that that craft behind it and and the patience and the time it's taken them to do that because you know i'm not on a level as those guys but i am an editor myself and i know how difficult that is Mm -hmm. exactly yeah to get it right and yeah the amazing job Absolutely Particularly amazing. when you're working at this budget level. So the editing and the sound design has to do a lot of the heavy lifting that you just don't have the production values for. I mean, $4 million sounds like a lot of money, but in terms of movie making, it's absolutely nothing, really. Um, so they're having to cover up a lot of the... Uh, and cut around a lot of the um, deficiencies within the production itself, you know, just because they didn't have the money to stretch to it. And it's doing a mm. lot of heavy lifting in that regard. And yeah, the comparison with Man on Fire is uh, well, well and good, but even what these guys are doing is potentially more impressive given that that's a $70 million movie and this is a $4 million movie and they're making mm. making these scenes and the scares and the gore work when they probably didn't have, you know, all the best tools to work with. Yeah, all the prosthetics and all the designs of the contraptions and stuff like that. Yeah. It's very clever, you know, the, there's a lot of sniffy critiques on this saying how like, you know, lowest denominator this sort of yeah. movie is. But it there's so many smart elements going on in this film. Okay. And another one, just to lead back into the film, is the fact that his son was in the safe all along in the room. Yeah, we were which he told him as well at the start. All you have to do is listen to me and your son will be in a safe place. Like even put a <laughs> yeah. pun in there. Come on, Donnie, get with the programme. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's kind of, in a way, you sort of go, wow, that's a bit of a strange, like, you know, reveal. But then you think, you know what? Like, if he just played by the rules and listened and, and yeah. humoured John, then then Daniel and him would be reunited and everything would be grand. But no, he had to punch no. him in the face. He had to do all this stuff. Yeah. He had to be the hero to try and save his son. And then he ends up being... Um... Well, there's another big reveal, isn't there? There's another in... bit. This is the biggest twist then of the whole film. He ends up in the bathroom, but it's not. You know, the lights aren't on. Nobody's home. Yeah, because what he saw on the video monitors transpired hours ago, and it's now clear. Yeah, and then someone's in the bathtub who injects him with something, knocks him out cold, and then he wakes up, and we re- it gets revealed that Amanda is now the Jigsaw's protege. Yeah. When I first saw this, I was like. Oh my god, my head was like, <laughs> but but then I was just like, well, you know, you shouldn't ever trust someone with that sort of hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, you just like you just knew you can't trust it. She was shifty throughout the whole film, um, but yeah, she, so she's now the protege for the film. And again, I haven't seen the sequels, but from what I'm aware, she's now in the rest of them, isn't she? She is carrying on uh, Jigsaw's mantle. Is that right, Lucy? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm going to delve into spoilers so people haven't seen the franchise there, be warned. But uh, Amanda actually dies in the third one. Oh, oh, right. And then there's like another guy who comes in and then it gets stupid, in my opinion. Oh, right. Uh, right. But okay. I think uh, Amanda being, you know, his protege and sort of, you know, she's very clearly got like Stockholm Syndrome. You know, it's 
it, <clears throat> it makes sense, the fact that, you know, she, she feels like she's been reborn by Jigsaw and all this stuff, and she's very psychologically messed up at this point. Mm. I think it makes sense, honestly. And I, I've seen a lot of yeah. critics that were like, oh, that was stupid. But I'm like, you know what? No, I actually think it was quite smart. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's pulled out of something that's established. It's one of the few things that I, I remember really well from the first one is obviously she gets out of the trap. And when she's be debriefing and giving her statement to the officers at the time, she says that he helped her, that he saved her life, essentially. So it's something that they've gone back through the first film and took that as a kernel of truth and then just expanded on it and ran with it. So it is within the mythology of the uh, of the franchise, yeah, and yeah. I think it makes sense for Detective Matthews to be her first subject as well, considering you know as yeah. as you said, she was a junkie and he he screwed her over as well. So she's like, you know what, <laughs> this is my revenge on you now mm. um, for being a shady cop, basically. Uh, so yeah, it, yeah. It, it makes sense for me, honestly, it does, and I feel like it's a valid criticism to think, oh, you know, it's silly to have Jigsaw two point oh, but no, honestly, I, I do think it works. Yeah, and it makes sense as well because he is dying. He would, you know, like. We've got a franchise to make here, guys. We've got another six instalments of these to do. We, you can't be dying for every single one of them. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. And then we're sort of hit with this really long montage of all the foreshadowing, where it's just all the clues Jigsaw's given to Detective Matthews. Yeah, yeah. That it's like the usual suspects. Uh, his son is. In, yeah. <laughs> and I, I thought that was brilliant. It was just. Yeah. It was basically an exercise in goading. Um, Detective Matthews into doing all the predictable things he was going to do, much like the eight people in the house. Mm-hmm. They were all goaded into doing what they would do, you know, predictably. Yeah. And then he's left He's left alone in the bathroom, locked up, and the door shuts on him, and then that's it. <laughs> yeah, credits, and then some new metal comes up on the soundtrack, and we're we're out of there, 89 minutes. We are in the mid-noughties, James. We, we are, are we're loving it. We're very much in uh, new metal phase it does kind of just come full circle though isn't it because that's exactly how the first film ended as well you know shutting the door yeah. and game over it's the same thing and you're like oh nostalgia for like you know that original film yeah that's why i like this the second one i think because that sense of full circle-ness is is yeah. present but then the third one i know you guys haven't seen it but it just kind of goes all over the place and you're like oh but you know the first two i think are very good yes i'd agree with that yeah yeah it feels like a proper well-rounded sequel doesn't it yeah. like it's it refers to the first one enough, but then does enough new things to be different. Definitely. Um, yeah, I I just love how it's not a happy ending as well. Like yeah, the, the yeah, main, super nihilistic, cop, isn't it? Like <laughs> the main cop we're supposed to be rooting for is left to rot in a in a cell. I guess it's a happy ending for Daniel because he's safe and sound because he's not done anything wrong apart from nick some bubblegum from a shop. And who hasn't <laughs> nicked some bubblegum from a shop um, when they were a child? And then that's the film credits roll. So yeah, uh, what's your favourite bit, Lucy? What's your favourite bit? My favourite bit, I think it's funnily enough when Xavier when Xavier cuts his uh, bit of, the, of his neck off. Actually, I love that bit. <laughs> oh. It's kind of when he it's it's this point where he's he's completely broken by everything Jigsaw's done, and he's he's willing to do this. And then it's like, oh man, it's that that entire shot is one of my favourite moments. And I know it's going to happen. Yeah. Like I said earlier, you know, the edit and the sound, it just makes that scene for me. I think that kind of climactic moment is is a really good one. Yeah, that is a good bit. That's a really good bit. What about you, James? Yeah, uh, you just sort of touched on it there, Simon. So the montage where it's sort of tying all the regular threads together. I don't think you sort of expect that kind of thought has been put into the story with this kind of film, like in terms of they've really got, they've not just gone, right, we did a twist in the first one, we've got to do another twist. They'd like to do three or four twists on that. And 
you know, for something that is, you know, and I don't say this negatively, that is a trashy movie, but I think the tying up of all those threads is really well done and there's plenty of twists and they just stay on the right side of preposterous for me and they yeah. work. And then with uh, Amanda being, it turns it into a different franchise then at that stage or you believe it's going to be a different franchise at that stage and like she was also a villain all along. I think it's a really good twist. I thought, yeah, I thought it was really good. I think my favourite bit is, um, uh, it's it's so it's so small and, and insignificant, but when Matthews and Jigsaw are heading to the house, Jigsaw's battered and bruised in the passenger seat and, and Matthews is like, where is it, where is it? And it's just a small little nod where he says, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. On the left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a, like, just a really obvious nod to Wes Craven's 72 movie. I thought that was, I, I really love that. When that happened, I was just like, oh, that that's a good one. That's a good little nugget in the script where it's just really easy to put it. Oh, we could just say this. Oh, that's good. The fans would love that. But that's, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was nice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Lucy, we'll give you the last word on this because it's your pick. But uh, Simon, for your reconsideration. Oh, for me, uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to use the words of Carl Smith of the New York Post, who I really share what he had to say with it in his review. Um, so just a small snippet from that is he said, um, Jigsaw is a wickedly fun villain. If you can put aside the implausibility of a guy who likes to saunter away from his deathbed to kidnap younger, stronger people and devise medieval torture chambers. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think if you put that to one side... Uh, you know, if you put which the, you have the, to with these kinds, you of do, films. you do. Yeah, um, put that to one side. There's so much fun to be had with this film. Jigsaw, in particular, is is such a fun villain. It's more disgustingly horrible than scary, I think. Yeah, uh, but it is it is pretty fun in a sadistic sort of way. I'm not going to pretend I'm smart enough to say, oh, I saw that twist coming a mile away, which I think a lot of sniffer reviews kind of do for this, because I, I definitely didn't. I did not see those twists coming. No, I, I remember that when I first saw it. And I loved it for that. While it does lose the originality and freshness of the original, which I genuinely rank really highly as an original horror property, despite its reviews of the time, it has a killer twist. And you know this series, like it or not, it did lead from the front in regards to that hugely popular Gorno phrase of the noughties, as you mentioned before, James. You can understand why most professional film critics would sort of scoff and turn their nose up at this sort of film as you could consider it pretty low denominator stuff. But for what it is and for what it's trying to achieve, I think it does an amazing job. Um, technically, it's really, really good. Um, I can't say I've seen any of the following sequels um, in this seemingly endless series, but I do like this one. I think it's really ace. Brilliant, yeah. I'd echo a lot of that, to be honest with you, Simon. So we should give a shout-out to the director, so Darren Lynn Boosman, who this was his first film. So like James Wan, he was a first-time director. Uh, on this one, and I think he does a good job. He kind of apes the style that James Wan set up in the first film, but then builds on it as well. Uh, the film is appropriately scuzzy and trashy where it needs to be. Uh, it's got great twists and great reveals. I think even if you guess one or two of the twists, there's that many that are piled on in the last in the last 10 minutes, that there's going to be some surprises there. Tobin Bell is a great villain, and the contraptions are both ingenious and absolutely disgusting. So, yeah, uh, not for the squeamish, but I think it's well worth a watch. 
Right, so I'm I'm ending this now, then I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what what do you think, Lucy? Would you? What's your take on the film? Yeah, I think I totally agree with most of the points you've made, and I think you know if you really enjoyed the first Saw film and you want to kind of see a bit more context, then it's definitely worth you know a watch. You see a lot more of Jigsaw and his actual face and his actual backstory here, which is excellent. You know, if you like a villain with a motive, you're going to get it here. It's really good. The production design is really, really good. You know, a lot of the the traps are very clever, very smart, like relating to the characters themselves and what they've done. And again, the twists are fantastic. And it's not pretending to be a Hollywood, wonderful, high budget film. It knows what it is. It knows what its fan base is. and, And that's fine. So, yeah, I absolutely think it is worth reconsidering if you haven't already. Fantastic. Spot on, spot on. So, yeah, I, I think that's us for this week. Thank you again, yeah. Lucy, for joining us. Uh, absolute pleasure to have you on the pod. Oh, it's been fantastic. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Lucy, where can our listeners uh, find your stuff if they if they want to? Yeah, of course. So my website is uh, lucygoestohollywood.com or you can find me on Twitter, uh, Instagram and Facebook at LGTHblog because my blog title is too long. So <laughs> that's where you can find me. <laughs> uh, Yes, everyone, please uh, check out Lucy's blog and her Twitter and Instagram. It's it's always a very good read. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it, Lucy. I did, um, yeah. And hopefully you'll join us again soon. Big love to Rob, who's still lost in purgatory, it seems. Haven't heard from <laughs> you for ages. Uh, but in the meantime, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at FYRFilmPod. Or if you've got any suggestions for movies or, like Lucy, fancy featuring on the pod, uh, you can email us at reconsiderpod at gmail.com. Uh, so that's a bye from James. Bye bye. Uh, bye from our lovely guest Lucy. Bye. And bye from me. In a bit. Uh, Lucy, if Rob doesn't survive, do you fancy stepping in for me full time? <laughs> <laughs>